Matthew uh, chapter <coughs> 13. And verse 52. Of course, pulling it out of context just a, a little bit here from Jesus' teaching on the parable uh, and about uh, separating the wicked from the just. And then he comes to uh, verse 51, and he said, Have you understood all these things? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he said to them, Therefore, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things old and things new. So there is this place, even as was mentioned in the beginning, Uh, of the service today that we take things old and we take things new and of course it's been so popularized today in so many different venues and settings from fitness programs to church to motivational speakers that the definition of insanity is uh, continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results we must continually define who we are and what we are I want WCA to be very intentional. I don't want us to be just another gathering. There are a lot of gatherings and great things that are taking place. It has been acknowledged here today already. The powerful ministries, if I start naming one or two, then uh, I will forget somebody. But uh, Bob Perry did email us. He's in, I think, Washington, D.C. with a family member going through serious surgery today. And so he said, his prayers are with us. But we have great prayer ministries that have been raised up from not only uh, Bob in the, in the House of Prayer with Nashville and Franklin House of Prayer, what Scott McCloud is doing, what uh, Acts 13, Betsy had, and many, many others. These are just in more of a non-denominational setting. There are many people doing works that we're not aware of that's not being advertised or broadcasted. God is, is at work. God is doing great things. I personally feel that the need today is for leaders. And this is what is burdening my heart with WCA, is to help leaders. I consider all of you as leaders in this room. I think there's a great transition that is taking place in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, we quote so readily that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the uh, perfecting of the saints, or the maturing of the saints. There's been a lot of attention given to the fivefold giftings and title-wise, but I choose to refer to them as functions, not so much title, as functions in the body of Christ, functioning as an evangelist, functioning as an apostle, functioning prophetically in order to build the body of Christ up. Daniel chapter 7 says that the great dragon was making war uh, on the saints until God made a, a judgment in heaven in favor of the saints. I really believe that the saints are going to come forth in a way that we've yet to see. That the attention is not going to be solely on the leader or the fivefold gifting, but the saints will recognize what God has deposited within them. That the anointing that they have, that God has given them. I really struggled this morning as to, I've got 14 messages I would like to share with you, but I'm trying. So I've got a log jam at the moment. Uh, I'm not. I'm not searching for what to say. I'm just uh, 
wondering what God is saying. So I get it as I go, and I go with the flow, okay? So I'm feeling for God here in this moment in what he's saying. I'm not so much want to cast a vision for WCA as talk about us being a value-driven vision based on values. Early on, leaders begin to gather and pray. And when leaders gather and pray, the saints are released when leaders get into their right position. I love pastors and I love leaders. The enemy hates them. Zechariah says that smite the shepherd and you scatter the sheep. We launched uh, our ministry in January of this year talking about a new city narrative. We went back to the book of Revelation where Jesus wrote to the seven churches. He was basically giving them a narrative of who and what they are. And we can't go in detail with that today, but he goes, I know your good works, I know you've done this, but I have this against you. I believe, we believe that there is a narrative for Nashville, a city narrative. Heaven has a narrative. And also, Satan. We drew on this um, this grease board, um, whiteboard at the beginning of the year, talking about heaven's narrative and heaven's perspective. And then what Satan's perspective. We are in a battle, Chet. We are in a battle with what's taking place here. And if you look historically at our city. So what determines a narrative? How do we change a narrative in our city? Our revelation must find application. Or we just keep revelating without any application. I want to attempt to bring a little application to our revelation today of a, of a new narrative. A new narrative for our city. It just doesn't happen. It won't happen with just guest speakers each month. It will happen with relationships primarily as every move of God does when we gather and join together. One of the things that I have said uh, for years, but especially for the last few months, relationships are the wineskin of the kingdom. Relationships are the wineskin of the kingdom. Friendship relationship. And as we gather as friends in relationship, the wine of heaven, the, the new narrative can begin to be poured out to us corporately. Romans 8 talks about um, really a corporate man, the awakening. The awakening. The earth is travail and groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. I believe there's a, a corporate man that will yet come forth. It will take a corporate anointing. We have a corporate challenge in the city. So we need to gather as leaders corporately. So as we look at a new narrative, and we look this morning just individually at our own narratives. You got up this morning and you had a narrative. My little seven-month-old golden retriever reminded me of the narrative. And it's go out at, it's potty time, you know. And uh, there are narratives you follow. If you, you could just... Put her on pause or autopilot. You're following a narrative this morning. Following a narrative in your marriage, in your ministry. You look biblically. We we see how God interrupted things in order to inseminate the seed of God to bring something fresh and bring something new. It doesn't always come with events. I had a man 
that I've been working with lately. Oh, we're in the car, and I don't know how, pastors, how you feel about this, but uh, if this happens to you frequently, but every once in a while they'll get you one-on-one, and they've got the big question they want to ask you that they don't have the answer for, you know. So he's got me one-on-one captive audience in a two-and-a-half-hour drive in a car, and he says, and I watched his whole body posture change and shoulders back, and he says, I've asked a lot of people this question, and I'm going, here we go. And... Uh, and then he, he goes on and bills and bills and he goes, what is the will of God? And, uh, and I said, um, well, my brother, um, I said, when, when those questions are posed, uh, generally it's from immaturity. No, uh, I said, generally, uh, uh, generally uh, we're, we're looking for, and this is the Holy Spirit. I mean, it just fell out of my mouth. We're looking for a destination. Is it this job? Is it this city? Is it this, do I am to marry her? Do I marry him? Is this my ministry? We try to reduce and distill the will of God down to a destination. And I looked at him. I said, the will of God is a journey. It's not a destination. It's, it's as my friend George Grant says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. So we, we want to see our city changed. Uh, we generally don't see it in a breakthrough meeting. There are breakthroughs that God does. But it's that long obedience of relationships coming together that form a wineskin that we change. That we change. Amen? Amen. So a new narrative. We are, if we're value-driven, I would like to talk about just a couple of values this morning. If we are uh, a value driven in our vision, then the foundation of, of WCA has always been prayer. Uh, this was birthed in prayer, even with Scott McLeod gathering leaders together prior to the call. He, he was sharing with me, uh, sharing with me on this subject. Then as the call came and the prayer and the intercession, what God did, it has a bedrock, a foundation, a visionary thrust of prayer. I would like to break this out. I'm dealing with mature leaders today, so I'm not going to go all the way there and unpack everything. I just don't have the time uh, today. But for direction purposes, so we know where we're going, so we're very intentional about why we've gathered here today, that it's not about a personality. It's not about an event. It's about gathering relationships together to see what a new narrative looks like. And hopefully God will allow us, as we speak into each other's lives, to change. Just a word from a friend, a word from a, a, a connected relationship can alter. It's people walking together. You know, most of us struggle and we have failures. I have had, we call failures, and we call them setbacks. Generally, what we're lacking, I find, as I look back in my life, is just the lack of close enough relationship that would speak sanctifying words of encouragement and hope into our lives. We're still hiding, folks. We're still hiding. We're, Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, I hid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? We still are, are covered in an element of shame dating all the way back to the first Adam. There's still an element of hiding. We hide in the ministry. I hid in the ministry. 
I'm, I'm alive and well today with a fresh passion and vision to serve pastors and churches in this city. I'm no longer pastoring a local church. I got kicked out for the last time. And um, I, I've served my sentence. I, they let me out on good behavior. I have an ankle bracelet. And, uh, and so uh, now I'm just, I, I want to help others. And this, this is what I want to do today. This is my passion. This is my drive. Prayer is going to be a major part. And I'm going to break this out for us. Another um, value that we have is intercession. If you know anything about prayer and intercession, we lump those together like we do pray, prayer, and excuse me, praise and worship. Two distinct different things. Never forget one a worship leader I hired back in the 90s. All he knew was praise. And I'm not trying to split hairs here, but he just knew how to jack the people up and get them on the rafters. He knew nothing about worship. And I discipled him on what worship was. He came from a denominational background. I've had 28 worship leaders in Nashville pastoring. So I know, I know, I know them. I know them. And uh, so not all were paid. Uh, some were volunteered until they got up and <clears throat> saw a celebrity or a producer in the audience. And then, anyway, I'll digress. So... In intercession. And we, we had this today. There was prayer that took place today, but there was also intercession. Where is a, is a gap standing? And once again, I don't have time to unpack all this. I think I'm amongst mature enough people that understand. These are our values that will drive us intentionally here. We will pray. We are commanded to pray. Everybody is a prayer warrior. Everybody in your church is a prayer warrior, leader in your ministry. We all are called to pray and pray without ceasing. Not everybody is an intercessor. And there's obviously different portfolios of intercession. And we don't have time to break that down today. But intercession. And then as we move, there was there is... A, Worship, And I think of Acts chapter 13 when they gathered together and, and when the church in Antioch began to take place and they were, they were worshiping and they were praying and they were interceding. And it says they were ministering unto the Lord. WCA has a history of ministering unto the Lord. It's not about our current state of getting our needs met. It's about meeting His needs first. We go vertically first before we go horizontal. So worship. And we worship together, ministering unto the Lord. Are you with me here? Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And then we have uh, another value, and that is honor. What a privilege it's been to see this past year as we've honored individuals. Most recently, Don Finto last month. We Dishonor is, is... The word honor, as most of you know, we could do a whole teaching here on this. Relates to Old Testament Hebrew... Kabod, kabed, weight, and glory. When we give weight, we give, we give honor, we give glory to individuals in the sense of what God has done in and through them. Dishonor is the opposite. It, it, it's a vapor. It's, it, it, there's nothing to it. It has no substance to it. We are in dire need of genuine, authentic kingdom honor today. When we honor one another, we prefer one another. Let one, uh, Paul says, uh, let the least member of them all receive more honor, more glory. So we need honor as a value. As we honor one another, I get what's in you. If there is dishonor, if I have a teenager, which I 
they had some at one time. And, uh, and when I could always find that state of rebellion or that place of resistance because there was a dishonor to me as their authority, as their father. So when there was dishonor, I could talk all day long and they could never hear me because there was dishonor in their heart. Honor opens the heart, opens the ears, and releases the word of the Lord when you honor. Scripture says, receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, and you get the reward. Do you know that this room is full of reward? This room is full of anointings. I wanted to speak on the anointing today in Isaiah 61 and and the corporate anointing that we all have and the gifts. But there are gifts in this room that are not just for your church. They're for a greater purpose in the city. There are giftings. There are callings. There are anointings in this room. And what I was wanting to minister on today, that the anointing is not just something that falls. We don't necessarily need another outpouring. What we need is a pouring out uh, from, from the finished work of what's already been done. But the anointing is actually made. It's created. And I'll digress there. So honor is a major is a major value. And and lastly, I'm just going to call it, we, we, we buzzword things so much that they lose their meanings. I'm just going to call it friendships. Uh, we need kingdom friendships. Uh, true friends that can be with us. Uh, Jerry and I have walked together with some stuff. James and I have walked together. Friendships that get established. That's part of that wineskin that takes place. Ray, had, I, we've walked through some stuff together before. And I have with George Grant. And uh, and I look back and I thank the Lord for John Chisholm. He led worship me for me when I was pioneering a church 25 years ago in Nashville. And he led worship uh, for me, not permanently. He wasn't one of the 28, by the way. Uh, so, uh, as, as a matter of fact, I was I was. Yeah. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, um, Ray had let me use the building, and, and he also John was with Bethel at that time, and he loaned me John, encouraged John to come over and, and help this poor guy out that's trying to pioneer a church. It was December. It was cold. We were meeting up in a children's ministry room. These are the early days of pioneering. There may have been five people that showed up on an afternoon. People don't come on a Sunday afternoon to meet in the children's ministry uh, on the second story, okay? Uh, especially when they don't know who you are and don't know anything about you or anything about your ministry. I was so discouraged that I had moved from Dallas where everything is larger than life in Dallas. And uh, I would moved and, and I thought, sure, we're going to take the city. And uh, boy... Did I meet resistance? And I won't go into all of that now. And I was so depressed in the service, and John was leading worship. And there's empty sanctuary with four or five people there, most of my family. If you've ever pioneered, you know what that looks like. And John paused in the middle of worship. Is I think he just couldn't handle it anymore. He goes, Lord... We just pray for Pastor Kimball right now. And, uh, he started he started praying and prophesying over me <laughs> during worship. He goes, this service ain't going to go anywhere and nothing's going to happen here, so we better pray for this man. <laughs> he didn't say all of that. I'm mad living. But 
country song. But I, I, I thank you for that. Pa- pastors today, pastors today are facing challenges like they never have before. Seventeen to eighteen hundred pastors leave the ministry every month. Every month in the United States. Have you noticed all of the uh, suicides that have taken place recently in, in the ministry? You, you hear about it all the time. It's becoming on an epidemic level. I, I have a burden for pastors. I was awakened uh, in my spirit January 14. I've shared this with a couple of people, and it keeps coming back to me and won't leave me. And I'll read you from my notes that I took in the prayer room. When I was praying, it was the beginning of another year. And I said, Lord, where do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then until God begins to speak uh, center gravity to you. Some of it's personal here, and I'll skip over maybe elements of it. But a a burden fell on me, a a vicarious burden. I went into intercession, actually. I went in, I I began to stand in the gap for for what heaven wanted as a narrative and, and what was not happening. There has to be somebody that stands in the gap, that intercedes, that, that calls on God and, and rebukes darkness. And I began to pray. And I said, in the prayer room at church this morning, I said, I'm feeling lousy today. Um, I, I, I feel this, this, and this. And then uh, I said, I, I'm, in, I'm trying to encourage myself in the Lord. I've got to go preach here in just a few minutes, you know. And so I'm, I'm wrestling here in the... In the in the prayer room. And then as I was beginning to pray, I felt, I literally felt God come on me in the room. And it said, then I, my, it shifted from me. It was, a, it was just an encounter with the Lord. It shifted from me, and I began to intercede for pastors. And it said, I began to thank God for pastors in the city. Pastors that were specifically discouraged. The thought crossed my mind a prayer ministry, a direction toward pastors and intercessors. This is almost two years ago, guys. Um, and as, as I began to pray, I, I felt the burden of the Lord, and it began to increase and increase. A burden uh, grew upon me that I began to call out the names of pastors. I began to call out the names of churches. The word sickness kept coming to me during my intercession time. Pastors are sick. Lack of hope, deferred hope. I'm sensing that that God is calling to do something about this, comforting those, and it goes and it goes on. Shortly after that, uh, James Gall, Don Fento, and several others asked me about WCA and and leading. I believe that this, the encouragement and support of of leaders is of utmost importance. When I say pastors slash leaders of ministry. I went to Richmond, Virginia last two weekends ago. Uh, it's an interesting city. Uh, I, I like the city. It's more the first place I'm told historically where slavery was initiated in the ports in Richmond, Virginia. I spoke in an all-black church, and I've never ministered on it, but I ministered on the strategic intercession for pastors and leaders. And God came on it. And I knew it was it was it was the Lord speaking at this day and hour and where we are and even in our city. 
When you smite the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. 80% of pastors today say that they do not have a close friend or a mentor that they feel safe enough with to share their problems and their concerns. A pastor can't go to his eldership. He can't go to his staff. He can't go to his board or the denomination. That's all job security. So where does he go? He shoves it. Unless he has a friend. I mean, he shoves it. You can only shove it so long until a gasket will blow. A man or woman of God doesn't wake up one morning and decide to go commit adultery or, or to embezzle money or to take their life. It's years of living with expectations of people, pressures, and demonic activity. Let me touch on that for just a moment. I believe there is a greater warfare taking place than what most pastors realize. We have a very consumer-oriented culture today. We have recreational religion. It's about me. It's what am I going to get. Would you say that that's a fair statement? The pressure to perform for pastors, the pressure to have programs, the pressure to be everything and everywhere, James Dobson initiated, to my knowledge it was James, that initiated the October uh, Appreciation Month for pastors. Dear ones, pastors need appreciation more than once a month. Uh, Once a year, thank you. Uh, They need it every month. They need encouragement. I was fortunate enough, God just allowed me to, back in the 90s, to raise up intercessors in my church. Some of the richest time of my ministry when I pastored my intercessors. Intercessors are a different breed. And it depends on the breed within the breed. <laughs> uh, so, And what the assignment is of the intercessor. And that could be said uh, with other things. I, um, I believe that every pastor and every leader needs strategic intercession. I believe they need men and women understanding them and praying for them without expecting anything from them. It's one of the most difficult things for a pastor to do, to sit down and let somebody else minister to him or to them without giving to them. I'm guilty. Asking for help and feeling the awkwardness of somebody ministering to me. I'll never forget when um, I was laid up for 12 months what I'm sharing with you today has not only come out of 35 years. I'll be 36 years of ministry in January. 35 years of ministry, but the last 12 months have been an incredible thing with this ruptured disc and a broken rib and a thoracic outlet syndrome and sleeping on the couch for 10 months and averaging an hour and 45 minutes sleep and looking at the street lamp shining through the window, through the window pane and window the, the bars in the window forming a cross on the wall as I lay there about an hour and a half sleep averaging every night. Darkness rolls in like you can only imagine happen when you're physically distraught and then spiritually attacked and economically struggling. And I warred and I, and I, I felt defeated and discouraged. And as I lay there and prayed and, and just seek, you know, many of you prayed for me and, and, and gave and even contributed us financially and and I thank you for that. There are certain things that can only be birthed in your life through suffering. I don't love, I don't like suffering, I don't choose suffering, 
But there's only certain things that God can deposit in your character by suffering. Hebrews chapter 12 says that He endured the cross. It was a joy before Him. He endured the cross. And He despised the shame. See, I would love to talk about this today. But we sometimes get this confused. We think enduring the cross is something we just must endure. And then when we endure it and we bear it, then shame comes on that says we're not enough. We don't have this and we don't have that. We must realize in the process of enduring the cross that joy is not only set before us, but we don't ingest shame that somehow we are here because we failed, we're not enough, because we should have turned left when we went right, and if I'd have chosen this instead of that, we second-guess ourselves, we second-guess God, we don't trust the Holy Spirit, we don't trust the voice. We have now become defeated and covered in shame, and so we hide. There is true suffering. There is an endurance. But don't ingest the shame. Jesus despised the shame. The word in the Greek means look down upon. They were mocking Him. They said, physician, heal thyself. You healed everybody else. Why can't you heal yourself? He did not, in the moment of His trial, ingest anything less than the finished work of His identity and who He was. This is the great trial. And this is why we need support and encouragement to get the shame off of us. If we don't partner and move together relationships and, and move the shame, here's what we do. We automatically do this. If you don't deal with the root, which is identity, we will perform our way. Whether it's financial, economics, whether it's this, whether it's that, especially as pastors, we're placed in this role, especially leaders. We're looked to as the spiritual one that's got the answers, that knows what to do. And we don't allow ourselves to suffer. We don't allow ourselves to need prayer. So we need intercession. We need people. I had the intercessors and they would pick up and I would find out that burdens would begin to fall on them. Uh, one would be burdened for my children. Another would be burdened for the finances of the church. I didn't assign these. It's as the Holy Spirit distributed them and began to work. And all of a sudden, God was forming a team. And when, when, there, is, when there are three things, when there is enough time spent together, it builds trust. I'm not saying walk out and say, Who wants to intercede for the pastor today? Step right up. Sign up. Oh, buddy. You're, no. It takes time and develop, and they have to have your heart. But you spend time together, and it builds trust. And after trust, you build togetherness. And this is what we need. Intercessors that will be together with us in the battle. It will pray for us. Even we don't have to go and request. We don't have to go somewhere else. I lived through um, the ministry days. I was in California pastoring when... Baker and Swagger both had these incidences and the pastor that I was working with, he's gone on to be with the Lord, a great man, Glenn Cole, was on the general council of the Assemblies of God. Large church there, it, it rattled the whole denomination and he would come back and give us direct first-hand reports from general council and, and the worldwide effect, worldwide, it was having on the denomination. 
Do you know how many people left the ministry? Lost? How many sheep, saints? The devastation, the shame. Church needs to protect its leaders. We need to come around our shepherds. We need intercession for them. I would like to forecast for the future in 2016 that every leader, every church that is so willing and so desirous have an intercessory team. I've got a whole strategy that I can't go into today where you have an intercession intercessor on each day of the week. And then when that intercessor is leading, I've watched this happen. That intercessor is the point person. And if you're the point person, then you're the target. You're the hood ornament. And you get taken out if you don't have backup. So you develop backup support intercessors to pray for the intercessor. That's the point intercessor. Uh, And they rotate around. This is a strategy, one of many. The Bible says, be sober, be on alert for, for the devil. It's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul says we are not ignorant of his schemes, the wiles of the devil. We have to become strategic in our intercession, not once a year just saying, well, God bless our pastor, let's take up an offering. You may send him to the Gulf to get away for three days, but the same demons that had him discouraged back home haven't left him in just three days down there on the beach. You, you sit down you, you, you sit down on the beach and you may have your toes in the water and you're in the sand, but uh, the demonic activity is still raging and it's still waiting. We must go deeper. We must protect our leaders. We must protect our pastors. And as we do this, I believe it will contribute to the new city narrative of what God is doing. I believe when leaders come together, they, what happens, it moves you into a place of rest. Daniel chapter 7, we just talked about a moment ago in opening, where he says that I saw the great dragon making war against the saints. And, and he says, and there was a judgment made in heaven in favor of the saints. If you read on the rest of that chapter, it says, and then uh, the enemy began to gain advantage. I'm paraphrasing. He says, because of the wearing down of the saints. The word actually there in the New King James is persecuted. But if you look at the word persecuted in Hebrew, it talks about the wearing down. And this is how the enemy takes leaders out. It's the wearing down of the saints. It's the pulverizing. It's the grinding. It's the, it's the being on call 24-7. Wherever you go, whatever you do. And you never have the opportunity to have the closeness and the relationship in a place, a sanctified place that you can talk and go. Pastors' wives say 55 to 70% of pastors' wives feel that ministry is a hazard to their family. A hazard. And yet we're expecting them to lead us. And we want bigger and better and new programs. We must shift from a performance-oriented, personality-driven. They gave her something for pain, an epidural. They gave me two epidurals with my to try to relieve my pain. I tried to get out of my suffering. uh, And it didn't work. And... As she uh, was easing up in the pain, I said, oh, honey, you feel better? She goes, yes. She goes, but I know something's happening. I know I'm giving life. I know there's a pressure there, but I'm not in pain. Pastors birth, they give, they share. there's, There's more vision and more life in a pastor than most congregations are seeing or hearing because they're having to to work with inferior toolkits 
They're having to be here, to be there, to do this. You're not getting the best of your pastor or your leader of a ministry because there's not sufficient intercession for him to move into a place or her into a place of rest that we hear God. As long as Moses' arms were lifted, what took place? The battle was won. But the moment his arms were weary and heavy laden, hanging down. This is not an option anymore. This is, this is critical mass for us. We need fathers in our city. Bob Jones, that's gone on to be with the Lord, prophesied in Nashville. I did not hear it personally. I just know when I heard about it, the prophecy, how it rang true. Just like when Ray shared this morning about a new thing. And, and an old thing, and that's why a, a wise scribe, Matthew thirteen fifty two says, takes out of his treasure things old and things new. So we must be hearing what the Lord is saying right now. Bob Jones prophesied and said that he saw a, a canopy over the city of protection and security, and it was a canopy made up of fathers, healthy leaders and fathers protecting the city. I don't know, James, you may know more detail to that prophecy. I've tried to get it verbatim, but I can't find anybody that that can give it to me verbatim. If we will dig cisterns and drink out of our own well, and if we will have a canopy, cisterns and canopies, we will see our leaders refreshed and revived and our churches renewed and moving forward. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything does. So as we as we pray, as we have intercession, as we continue to intercede, and it was beautiful this morning doing that. Thank you, John, for for encouraging that. Uh, as we worship and we minister unto the Lord first, everybody say first. first. Judah goes first, and then as we honor. Even the least of members, we honor. We had the privilege of honoring James Gall this year, uh, as keeper of the Flame Award, Don Fento, many others that have that have stayed the test of time. One of the great earmarks of an apostolic movement, and this is what we're in: apostolic and fancy word. Different people, denominations use it for different things. I use it as a fathering movement, as a as a fathering age. One of the greatest characteristics of that is endurance. A father with endurance, standing the test of time and still there and providing the shelter and the covering for the church and the little ones. So when we honor, we build up, we give life. Whomever you honor, you give authority to and you encourage. So now, friendships get formed for the wineskin of the kingdom. And as we pursue these value-driven vision, I am anticipating a culture to be established here. A culture, a culture of honor. It takes a, a while to develop a culture. It doesn't come with an event. We're not packed to the walls today. Uh, we may not have the right speaker. But if we have enough of us come together with, with an understanding of intentionally where we're going and what God is wanting to do and a culture being formed. Uh, I, I worked with a friend when I was with Dr. Peter Wagner in Colorado. There was a man that I worked with uh, Named Craig, and he moved from Colorado. His, his mother-in-law got cancer, and she passed, and he had to move to um, 
back down to Florida with the rest of his family. Of course, I had made many trips to Colorado Springs and loved it, and and I loved the altitude, the snow. Uh, of course, I lived in Nashville, so it was great to visit. I didn't have to shovel every day. And um, but it was a, it was a different atmosphere. It was a different climate. It was a different setting, so there were different conditions. There was a different culture. People acted different. They, they, their activities were different. The entertainment was different. When my friend moved from Colorado Springs, where he was living, to Florida, uh, he sent me a picture. He says, guess where I am right now? I said, I have no idea. He says, I'm out on the Gulf. And he took a picture of himself. He had his little flip-flops on, shorts. And, of course, it's a totally different than my relationship with him in Colorado Springs. And it got me thinking about how the culture uh, is determined by the atmosphere and by the circumstances around it. And it, it affected his lifestyle. Now, he's doing things in Florida that he didn't do in Colorado. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural difference. When I spoke in Richmond, it was a cultural difference. But if we create a culture of honor, giving honor and creating that atmosphere where people immediately come in and they sense that there's value placed on them, and that's what honor really does. It places a value on us. Big ministry, small ministry, large church, small church. I've often wanted to do a pastor's conference, and you could only come in if your church was 200 members or less. Uh, because, you know, everything is to break the barrier and break the barrier and break the barrier. Uh, I'm not sure that one man can effectively pastor more than 300 people anyway. But nonetheless, I digress. So, but, but helping pastors and leaders that, with smaller ministries, that they don't have to be something else. I've, I've lived this. I've walked it. I wanted to be the, the big guy on town because that's all my model showed me. My model was that. So it was ingrained in me until I realized that God could give three hoots about it. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. He's looking for men. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, looking for men whose hearts are, are toward Him. That's what God's looking for today. He's not looking for great leaders. He's looking for men who will humbly submit themselves, and women who will humbly submit themselves and be used of Him. What if we created a culture of honor where we came together because not who was speaking, but because of our values and friendships were formed and God could look down and trust us uh, with assignments in the city. I don't want to duplicate what is happening in East Nashville or South Nashville. I don't, I don't, that, we don't need to duplicate that. These bases are covered. I don't see pastors and leaders being covered right now. And we need that for our city. Smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. We need strategic intercession for leaders. So today, as I make my first closing, um, I want to read you a statement I read to you last week, last month. There comes a time when you choose to make a greater impact for the kingdom by focusing your energies on the whole and not just the part. You realize that you can do more together in agreement than you ever could individually. The desire to make a difference by selfless servanthood and powerful creative thinking driven by passion for him and the advancement of his kingdom will help create a new city narrative. So to put a little feet to this and application to our revelation, Pastor Mark Lancaster of One Stone 
was sharing with me. Uh, he's met with some pastors recently, and their and their struggle and their discouragement. Don't know where to go, and I I know why they talk to him because he's a safe place. Yes. But we usually only go so far because we don't know how we don't know what will turn on us. And pastors learn not to trust, and so they back up and they hold back. Well, Mark was telling me about some pastor friends of his. And, and ministering to them as they minister to him as well. So Mark is going to step up to the plate with his church. He's going to be the first church in this new year, and we're going to honor the pastor. We're going to go to his church, and we're going to teach on, on strategic intercession for the pastor, teaching uh, the congregation. Do you know your congregation, most congregations don't know how to treat their pastor, especially if they are congregationally uh, structured in their government and they vote him in, they hire the man of God. They hire the voice. This is a very dysfunctional model that we've been serving under. And and I'm not going on the tyrannical side. And we don't have time to talk about church government. Let's just talk about leaders and their need for prayer. We're not trying to fix anybody's house. Uh, we just want to go in and pray for leaders and teach a congregation how to support teach a congregation how to support their pastor and, and lead them and guide them. So Mark is going to uh, open up first in January and I would love to, I, I would love to be in a pulpit every Sunday somewhere in Nashville honoring a pastor. A pastor can't honor himself. His staff usually doesn't. A denominational leader typically doesn't. Maybe an evangelist will come through occasionally. Where does the honor come from? We just drain, we pull, we, we suck the life right out of them. And we haven't even talked about the pastor's wives and what all they go through and their, and their children. Amen. So I would love to be, this is what I think we could focus on, I would love to be in a pulpit every Sunday with, it, with it, as many as the WCA team that can make it because many of them are pastoring. I happen to be free from pastoring a local church and I am a, I'm an ambassador at large. And so I would love to go and honor, teach a congregation how. You, it's very difficult to, uh, to gossip about your pastor when you're praying for him. But if you can pray for him and hold his arms up, then he doesn't have to spend 20 minutes wading through all the manure of things in order to get the word delivered. Then he's not depending upon the worship leader to fall out of heaven and part the waters in order for the Word. That's not totally the function of a worship leader either. So, Mark, thank you from One Stone for uh, volunteering and being willing to step up. I'd like to talk to anybody here today that would be willing, and I would love to come, and we won't uh, be controversial. We'll respect your house and what your, what your core beliefs are, but we want to bring honor. And as we honor leaders... If, if we can honor a leader, then a congregation will be honored and lifted up. And if a congregation is, a community is affected. And if a community is affected, a neighborhood is affected, then our city will be affected. Do you see what? A, do you see how this is working? I, I just don't want to look in the face of another tired pastor and say, "Well, I made it. Okay, I made it to this meeting and made it to that meeting, and now he's got to go prepare, and now he's got to counsel, and he's got to be an administrator." If you calculated the salary of a pastor and all that he does from administration, motivational speaking, and counseling, and managing a staff, and handling the budget, and then preaching on Sunday, his, his salary totals at least three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars. 
if you try to hire those five positions. Yeah, there are elders. Yeah, sometimes there are staff members that can help. But nobody carries the burden when they lay their head on the pillow like the leader of that ministry. Nobody does. And I feel it. And it needs to take place. Amen? Are we good with this? Let's pray for pastors. And then we're going to uh, break for lunch and have a great... Um, have a great time with a Thanksgiving dinner. I'd like for you to talk around your table. Uh, for a, <clears throat> You may be a leader of a ministry. I know I've mentioned the word pastor a lot. But you may be the leader of a ministry. S- similar situation. Uh, so let's, let's join together. Let's find something in them. Let's let God speak to us and connect our hearts together by the Holy Spirit. And I want to pray for pastors right now. And, and I want to ask for a couple of you leaders that would be willing to lead out in prayer on behalf of pastors in what I've shared with today. You'd be willing just to pray for leaders and pastors in our city. When we have healthy leaders, healthy leaders beget healthy churches. And healthy churches will beget healthy communities. And healthy communities will help create a new narrative for our city. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come to you on behalf of leaders in our city. We want to see a city change. Uh, Help us to shift our focus from just our church, our ministry, our vision. Help us to see the broader vision. Even as Jeremiah said, when you seek the welfare of the city, you seek your own welfare. So help us, Lord, to lift up our heads from our own individual plowing of our rows to see the broader vision. Session, many, many others, maybe not on a, on a different level, the different platforms supporting citywide works to, to strengthen our position in the kingdom and with one another. So God, we bless them. But Lord, we're at, we want to be strategic now in our session. So we lift up leaders and pastors of ministries now. Would you just lift up your voice uh, and, and just pray a prayer now, if you would please, specifically.